Welcome back to New Rockstars. This is Big Question, the show that gives you too much information about the best way to watch an entire city get blown to smithereens while people get the flesh ripped from their bones like, like wet toilet paper. <laughs> oh, oh, God. I guess really graphic. Bye, I'm MT, and I'm here today with the man, the myth, the legend, Eric Voss. How you doing today, Eric? I'm doing good, MT. Are we doing our Boom Boom episode? We're, t we're breaking booms. <laughs> we are breaking booms Finally. today. Boom, you looking for this? <laughs> oh! Oh my God, we go. We gotta talk about a lot of booms. A lot, whole lot of booms about to come, about to go down. So get ready because in the recently released Zack Snyder film, The Army of the Dead, one of the main plot points revolves around a nuclear strike to kill all of the zombie tourists hanging out in Las Vegas. Now, I for one love a big nuclear explosion in a movie as much as the next guy. So that got us thinking about this week's big question. What are some of the best and worst uses of nuclear explosions in cinema? And how does the nuke in Army of the Dead rank among them? We gotta be mm. honest with our viewers, MT. We've just been dying to do a nuke episode of this yes. show. Yes, Because, <laughs> I don't know about you, I just like going through YouTube and being like, ooh, yeah, there's a nuke in this scene. Oh, how do they make oh, it look man. there? Uh, just Hollywood's <laughs> take on um, something that's so horrible and terrifying, it's just kind of fun to see how wrong yeah. they get it. <laughs> We're not nuclear experts, um, but we know when something's a little over the top or when something's just like too triggering. What we'd like to do is go through the most iconic nuke scenes in movies mm. and kind of rate, it. should people be more worried about the radioactive fallout afterwards <laughs> and maybe get under a concrete structure or something uh, or get as far away as they can? What we decided to do is uh, divide these up into kind of three tiers you know, uh, and mm. and rank them based on their, I guess you could say, range of narrative weight as um, in terms of how necessary are they for the story or are they really just spectacles? And first we have the bonkers and mostly implausible uses of a new, like borderline unnecessary and used just for spectacle. And like, yeah. and secondly, we have our realistic nukes designed to evoke fear and used as like a cautionary tale of sorts. And yeah. these are usually a bummer. And then finally, we have the more cerebral, what have we done category. What this have we done? What have we done? Good God. <laughs> this is where the nukes are just like a first step that create the new horrifying world that the characters have to deal with. And the goal isn't to bum out the audience, but to explore the scary sci-fi consequences of that nuke. So Got it, let's yeah. put on our radioactive suits as we trudge into the blast zone and rank these big old boom booms. A boom boom boom. All right, MT, thanks for laying that out. Yeah, we'll start with the bonkers. So this is the, these are the movies where it's just ridiculous, wildly yeah, inaccurate, pretty much pointless <laughs> to the plot, maybe downright bad. Uh, and we'll start with mm, the one that kind of changed the game for how we talk about movies. Oh boy. Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Uh, this is uh, the movie that gave us the origin of the phrase, nuke the fridge, uh, replacing <laughs> jump the shark, essentially. But this is the movie that uh, begins uh, around Area 51 in Nevada in 1957. Uh, right. It's the same region where Army of the Dead begins, but goes in a Ooh. very different direction. And basically, after having some hijinks with Kate uh, Blanchett, uh, <laughs> Indy ends up in a nuclear test site and uh, goes into a lead-lined fridge and is somehow able to survive a test 
nuke and is able to look up at the mushroom cloud um, and doesn't really seem to have any kind of radiation poisoning afterwards. Yeah, he seems totally fine. He's just yeah. like, hey, cool, look at that radiation cloud that I'm staring directly at. Some would say he uh, looks stronger as that movie went on. <laughs> what was in that nuke? Flying, then he got superpowers. Mm, no, but yeah. <laughs> Now, actually, this is kind of based on real nuclear tests that were happening in the Nevada desert at that time as part of uh, mm. the military's Operation Plum Bomb. But even though these sites did exist, no way Indy would survive that. <laughs> yeah, everything else in that makeshift town is c- completely wiped out, but the fridge is just kind of punted, you know? It doesn't make sense. <laughs> and it's even unlikely that the lead lining in that fridge would be enough to protect them. Like, some British undergrads were uh, publishing a report on this scene in the Journal of Physics Special Topics in 2016. They concluded, quote, It is unlikely Indiana would have remained unharmed from the gamma radiation, as the minimum thickness of lead needed is 4.58 centimeters, which is oh. likely to be greater than the thickness of the lead lining within the fridge. The minimum thickness? And everyone in the UK is like, why, why are you doing this? Why? why you gotta, why Let's you talk try? about the minimum thickness, Eric. What's the minimum thickness? Just shut up. Just shut up, you stupid American. Your accent sounds stupid to us. Yeah, and of course, gave us the phrase nuking the fridge. Uh, I think we can mm. all agree. Bonkers. <laughs> Majorly bonkers and yeah. uh, highly inaccurate. Now, I would also say the same for a movie I actually really love, The Dark Knight Rises. Uh, mm. The third of the Christopher Nolan <laughs> yes. Batman movies. Which uh, brought in the uh, nuclear bomb into Gotham City as a way of just to have a ticking clock, a literal bomb, like kind of the most Adam West, Christopher Nolan went, you know, <laughs> to have sure. a bomb that Batman has to disarm. <laughs> I wish it was like a big old like cartoon looking bomb with a fuse. Yeah. It's like, you gotta get this out of here. It's a nuke. <laughs> and, you know, while the idea of, you know, a stolen nuke or, or turning a reactor into a nuke, I don't know, you can argue how plausible it is. The craziest thing about it is how does Batman freaking survive it? Like he totes right? it out across the water and there must have been some kind of bat submarine out there waiting for him there's no way he could have just dropped it and been far enough out of the blast radius to survive it eric he's batman he just dodged it he was like whoops got it (laughs) trying to get me whoops (laughs) it's one of many logical leaps in that movie that at the end of the day i forgive because i love so much what nolan did with that trilogy but uh, of the three Dark Knight Rises is the hardest one to go back to. It might be yeah. because we have to root for an army of police officers beating <laughs> up protesters. It's just kind of hard to reconcile that. Yeah, in going back is kind of rough. And the actual fight is laughable because, like, it's just in the background, no one's hitting anyone. It's just, it looks like comedy. Like, go back and watch that scene because the fight, like, the background actors are just hilarious to watch. Yes. Oh, and Very even cool. earlier in the movie, remember there's that background actor, who, uh, the stunt guy who was just like, like acting like Batman was hitting him, but he just went, whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, yeah. Fell <laughs> just quite a oh. few oversights in that one. Yeah, Christopher Nolan, uh, this is not, not his strong suit, I feel, um, but he's a great director. He's so good, yeah, which is why we can make fun of it. It's like, really? <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, let's move on to our next bonkers title. Uh, mm. This obviously is a bonkers one, Armageddon, right? The mm. Space Nuke. which glows a bluish green apparently right like all nukes really a bluish green nuke i mean look with this with a lot of sci-fi space nukes it's you know you can argue how ridiculous they are it really is just silly because everything in that movie is silly and there's no (laughs) way 
you don't need it to be a nuke in the movie. It's just, oh, we just wanted to put a nuke in there because that's how Michael Bay decided. It to just raises it. the stakes or something. It just makes right. it cooler. <laughs> There's that one scene where the um, NASA engineer scientist was talking about if you close your fist around a firecracker, then if it blows up your fist, it'll blow up a, a asteroid the size of Texas, I guess. And the problem is they kind of have this goofy ADR at the um, third act of the movie where they talk about all the chunks of the asteroid are blown out of Earth's range, you know, so not even pieces <laughs> of it hit Earth. The two halves are going to miss us by 400 miles, and most of the small particles have been vaporized. It definitely would have vaporized that shuttle as it was oh, trying yeah, to get Oh, yeah, for sure. It yeah. Would, uh, yeah, Earth would have not... I feel like Earth wouldn't have survived that. I don't know. No. Yeah, that's a huge... I mean, <laughs> it, you could have an asteroid the size of, like, a, a football field, and it would cause a, an extinction-level event. Yeah, that's, uh, that's... Every time I look up at the sky, I'm just like, you know what? One of these days, it could happen. It could happen anytime, you know? Just live every day like it's your last. Remember that, kids? Why? Why did I make this so morbid? Anyway, moving on. It's a morbid episode. <laughs> and uh, we should say scientists did dig into it. I love it when scientists look into movies or when oh, Mythbusters yeah. goes all into it. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's actually think about this. Um, and physics students at the University of Leicester concluded that Bruce Willis would have needed a nuke two billion times stronger than the one used in the film to blow up the asteroid the size of Texas. Wow. Two so that billion. Places this in the bonkers. Wow, I feel bad for the the nuke that they did have because it was just wasn't good enough. It Not yeah, wasn't strong enough, you know. Yeah, it, it, wow. it's gonna have um, some kind of um, self confidence issues. <laughs> Which brings us to our sponsor, Blue Chew. Just kidding. <laughs> We also got to throw an Independence Day in this. Oh, we got I love it. You can't forget, <laughs> featured two nukes, my friends. They tried to nuke the alien ship over Houston, and it oh, just yeah, wiped out the city of Houston, uh, but oh didn't do God. any damage to the uh, alien ship. Okay. And then at the end, they get the nuke. You know, Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum, they, they get the alien fighter into the mothership Naturally. and they nuke it from the inside, and it works. Kind of plays uh similarly to the um armageddon nuke where they just got to outrun mm. the blast you can mm. never outrun a blast i don't care how fast you're going <laughs> maybe the speed of light they're going the speed of light maybe captain marvel could but like hey most people nah i don't think so <laughs> and i should say this does not take away any of our enjoyment of these movies i love independence day i oh, love yeah. I armageddon Dark Knight Rises, all these movies, I love them with my heart. We're just really just talking about the nukes in these movies, so don't say yes. that we're hating on these movies. Now, we also want to talk about the movie The Crazies that came out in 2010, Ooh. and it's actually real similar to Army of the Dead in that there is kind of like a zombie-esque anger virus, rage virus, that sweeps through this small town of Ogden Marsh, Iowa. Hmm. Pretty great film, and it ends, uh, spoiler warning, with you know the government being like, we're just gonna blow up this city, and they use a nuke. The problem is there's just kind of like some implausible, you know, they're, they're driving a semi uh, <laughs> down a highway, <laughs> and it gets completely rolled over, but no one dies. They don't have their seatbelts on. Yeah, so the explosion itself looks pretty cool, as often these do. They got the good mushroom cloud in there. They got the shockwave. I like but, the good um, mushroom cloud, man. That's a yeah. staple. <laughs> but they often miss things like EMP. They miss the, the thermonuclear aspect of it, where the air literally catches on fire. That you rarely see, because it's horrifying. I wonder if we're ever going to get like a really accurate 
like just nuking in a scene because that would well, just be really graphic. Well, my friend, we oh. have some later on this list. You hold on oh, to your Okay, butt. all right, all right, okay. But just to shout out a couple more bonkers ones, there's a 96 movie Broken Arrow with Travolta where nukes get stolen. They do an underground detonation. And that one's ridiculous because he turns <laughs> off his truck to say, hey, hey, yeah, we got through the EMP pulse. But like that would still disable it. Doesn't The thing could still be off. It's going to fry the, whatever the electronic device is. It's not, it doesn't have to be on at the moment. You're not outsmarting a nuke there. I feel, like, I feel like these movies are giving us a really optimistic look at what a nuke would, <laughs> would look yeah. like if it actually happened. Right. Right. It's like, it's like oh, it'll be fine. There'll be no EMP type yeah. consequences. What are you <laughs> talking about? Well, I mean, the EMP would be the least of your worries if you're with oh, yeah, you, yeah. So maybe, I guess you have a point there. <laughs> but I think this is all just to get Travolta to shout. God damn, what a rush. <laughs> Travolta, straight up. Just like Oscars everywhere. He's got chills. They're multiplying. <laughs> and uh, we'll also throw in True Lies. True Lies uh, detonated. I mean, James Cameron, that man loves his nukes. Uh, they blew up um, one of the Florida Keys. Which, I mean, why stop at one? <laughs> I mean, blew up the Titanic. And that's uh, how that right, went, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, War of the Worlds has a, the moment where they tried to nuke the alien ship in Independence Day. That was kind of a reference to the 1954 War of the Worlds where they threw a nuke mm. at the alien ship and it was just like unscratched. Yeah. So these are just kind of crazy. It's just like ways to show escalation. Don't really do anything to the plot. And it's just to give you uh, uh, some fireworks, right? So mm. that's our bonkers category. We now move on to our realistic category. This next ring of fallout from the blast zone. This is just where the story is more about the the horrors of nuclear war, and they're mm. meant to inspire fear into the hearts of the as viewer, they should. Nuclear as a cautionary wars, tale, not fun, right? <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> And so just to run through a few examples of this, we have uh, The Sum of All Fears. This was the film with Ben Affleck that was based on the Tom Clancy novel, uh, where basically Jack Ryan is, he's trying to track down a stolen nuke, uh, but it's a smaller one. Uh, and it's used as, I believe it's a group of neo-Nazis in a way to spark um, a, a war between Russia and the United States. Hydra. Uh, <laughs> yeah, similar. <laughs> uh, and they target the Super Bowl in Baltimore. Um, oh, geez. So you do get to see a nuke. And this came out right after 9-11. I remember seeing this in the theater and everyone Ooh. was kind of freaked out. I think they delayed the movie a little bit because people Ooh. were kind of freaked out at that time. Yeah, that yeah, I would be very much uncomfortable. Be like, oh, this is too soon. This is way too soon. Yeah, there's that kind of creepy moment where like the president is there and he gets tipped off and they rush the president out of the stadium and then there's kind mm -hmm. of a weird quiet, and then everyone goes, Well, let's play some football! <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, we don't know what that is, but let's just play some football with it. Nothing bad's gonna happen. It's gonna be fine. Nothing to see here! Please disperse! The uh, explosion itself we kind of see from a distance. There's like a bright light. There's a shockwave that takes out the helicopter carrying Jack. It takes out uh, the hospital... Um, and, uh, yeah, it's kind of creepy, but really they kind of miss out on the opportunity to look into what would really happen in the aftermath of those. They kind of focus on the, uh, political fallout and the brinkmanship that happened afterwards. So it does kind of, it was meant by Tom Clancy to scare the shit out of, you know, world leaders to be like, this could happen. And, you know, if it does happen, let's hope that diplomacy prevails mm -hmm. uh, and intelligence is listened to. I think that there's an immense value in movies like these because of what you just said. It's just like, you know, people can't fathom the true devastating nature of a bomb 
until like they people like artists like that show you like this is the our capabilities this is what happens when we let hate go out of control right. so like let's exactly. you know relax with the nuclear threats or anything you know and just yeah. like you know go back to regular sticks and and, and, and you sticks. know good old good old fisticuffs you know what i mean i'm about to open a fat can of whoop ass on you bring it on bitch the sticks and stones all they do is break your bones but they don't melt them and that's the key exactly exactly your bones will be fine your bones will be and fine. not melted if you just don't use nukes you know? i wish i had no bones done Oh. That ought to show you. <laughs> now we got to move on to my favorite title on this list. T2 Judgment Day, my friend. Oh, God. It's the classic one. It's, it's the, the scariest one. one. <laughs> I it, remember watching it, it as a kid and being like, I don't know if I can continue this movie. <laughs> it messed me up. Like, uh, yeah. so all the Terminator movies are in a way about the fear of technology and a fear mm. of, like, global annihilation. Because I think that's kind of the fate in all of these that, like... Mankind will destroy itself with nukes, really hijacked by Skynet. But T2 shows us this nightmare sequence yeah. where she takes a little nap and then, you know, she's on the playground. It's uh, Judgment Day, which in that movie was August 29th, 1997. We made it. Yay! Just like in real life. Uh, and you see the city of Los Angeles just get wiped out. This mm. one is the, the first one I remember seeing that showed the true thermonuclear blast of uh, a yeah. wave of fire hitting everything because you see kids and mothers on this playground just being mm -hmm. blown into skeletal ash. Mm -hmm. And it's horrifying. It is genuine. Like that's, that's the first nuclear explosion I've ever seen in a movie. So yeah. after that, I was like, wow, nukes are awful. Like straight <laughs> up awful. And like, like you said, because like it was like the kid and like parent imagery of like of the playground, it was just like, wow. I'm yeah. a kid and like, I thought I was safe. So like, good God. For it to hit a playground is what really unsettled uh, everybody yeah. watching this, especially. Um, but that's what you gotta do. You gotta show, that's what happened. But I think it makes the movie so much better because it really gives so much stakes to what Sarah mm -hmm. Connor's paranoia exactly. and her fear is. It makes her less crazy in that moment because we all connect with her fear so viscerally in that moment. Mm. Uh, and it's it looks so cool because like, James Cameron, that guy is insane about his research. He consulted with a ton of people about what this would actually look like oh, uh, and looked at a lot of like test imagery of when like these towns were blown up. And like he basically used a lot of model work, a lot of great effects in this to make it look as realistic as possible. That's some bummer research, man. <laughs> and so when you see their flesh getting burned off, that is what it would look like. Your skin would catch on fire. That you know? is terrifying. Now, it would happen like... in a moment. I don't think it would be so drawn out. You wouldn't be screaming as a skeleton. It would happen in like the blink of an eye. How does James Cameron's wife feel? Like he's coming home from work with all this like research. He's like, I can't talk to you, honey. I gotta think about uh, how a nuclear blast would uh, affect the human body. Oh, you mean uh, James Cameron's wife at that time, Catherine Bigelow, maybe a little busy making point break. An amazing movie, no nukes, but a great Ooh. movie. Uh, early Point 90s. Break is a great movie. They were they were a busy couple in the early nineties. That brings us to what many people might consider the most haunting title here. It's called The Day After. This is 1983. It was a made-for-TV movie on ABC that was really uh, a production quality of what a movie would be at that time, and it got massive views. This was a hundred million people watched the program during the initial broadcast, and it scared the crap out of people uh, because oh, this was man. at 
many would say the second height of the Cold War. So you had the Cuban mm. Missile Crisis in the '60s. That's where like oh, boy. we got real close, uh, and then things kind of settled a bit down in the '70s. But then when Reagan got in there, that guy was nuts at first. He was like, <laughs> "Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it." He brought in SDI. That's what it was nicknamed Star Wars, where he's like. We're going to have satellites that shoot down the nukes from the sky. And then we'll be able to nuke uh, Stalingrad and uh, <laughs> Moscow and uh, who took my jelly beans? Nancy, <laughs> where am I? Really good I uh, well, the that guy so good. <laughs> had a melted brain for the last year of the presidency, and it was oh. terrifying. Also, Jeez. I'm not a big Reagan fan. Not going to get too political. I'm just saying the guy's freaking <laughs> overrated. And uh, many of the problems we have with our country are thanks to him, including uh, the collapse of our you know, mental health, social safety net. Thanks, Reagan. Um, but thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Anywho, uh, but to give Reagan some credit here, he actually watched this movie and mm. it freaked him out too. And he made mm. all the Joint Chiefs watch it as well. And a lot of people say this movie had a profound effect on his uh, his rhetoric, his tone about um, nuclear brinkmanship. Bro, that is so yeah. cool. I love that fact. Yeah. But uh, just wow. to give you guys a sense of what this is, it literally is about the day after a hypothetical nuclear strike following some families in Kansas and Missouri. And uh, it's because nukes have hit all the populated areas and it just follows the day after where literally like nuclear fallout is raining down on them. Uh, and you get these horrifying montages of crowds running through cities as panic as they know the nukes are coming down you see these uh the emp blast uh, shutting down their cars and then people get kind of wiped out in this flash of red light exposing their skeletons uh Dang. it's it's pretty pretty sickening i can't believe we made these types of weapons man that's so awful yeah that's so awful it was so depressing for a lot of people that uh abc and local tv affiliates opened 1-800 hotlines with counselors standing by during the broadcast oh my god Bro, honestly, I probably would have been freaking out too because the Cold War was no joke. Like no that joke. is anxiety city. Like a, releasing a movie like that during that time, like that is going to like increase anxiety times a zillion. But it's a good thing to to see because of like those effects that um you talked about earlier. Yeah. Uh, and if you ever watch the Americans on FX, they do a whole episode on it, how they watch it mm. on TV. And then that kind of freaks out, you know, <laughs> Elizabeth and Philip <laughs> as well. Like the kids are all depressed by it. It's... It was a big deal in the 80s. And another big cautionary tale, but one with a more lighter tone is Stanley Kubrick's Doctor Strangelove. A great film. Uh, you have to watch it if you haven't seen it. Or how I learned to stop worrying and love the bomb. It's just probably the funniest movie about mutually assured <laughs> destruction, for sure. It's a satire of the way political leaders bicker and try to alpha each other out and just mm. refuse to listen to logic. <laughs> Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. And it's a timeless just, uh, hobby of theirs. Yeah. <laughs> so ready to drop the bomb until it, we eventually get, you get that famous shot of Major Kong riding the bomb down to its target like it's a wild stallion. <laughs> Woohoo! It ends with this insane montage of nukes going off everywhere to we'll meet again don't know where don't know when creepy uh, it's, it's terrifying <laughs> but it's it's the closest you'll get to laughter during this, <laughs> this type of thing uh but it did make a lot of people think the way the day after did but this has been depressing we got to move on to our biggest category of what have we done <laughs> what have you done <laughs> 
We're ending here because this, I think, is the most effective use of nukes in cinema if you're just trying to entertain um, mm. while still get people to think about it because you're able to explore the implications in the sci-fi or horror way but mm. still makes you think about the nukes uh, a little bit. Yeah, you gotta think about the nukes, man. You can't yeah. forget about the nukes. And you don't have to go home and lose sleep over it and you know, have to go <laughs> talk to an ABC 1-800 hotline <laughs> therapist about it. Stop it. Get some help. I wish I had an ABC 1-800 number for uh, just regular life, you know, whenever yeah. I'm feeling lonely. Just, uh, yeah. Hey, ABC. <laughs> you just call Whoopi. Call Whoopi on the view. This, oh my God, of course. Well, of course. Why would, that should be my number one choice. Yeah. Whoopi Goldberg. She, you'll hear her snapping at Megan McCain. She'll be oh Megan and talking to MT. <laughs> Those are the only clips of the view I ever yeah, see. I know, me too. <laughs> just Megan McCain saying something crazy and we'll be just like, settle down. We gotta right, go to just... commercial. <laughs> Megan, we gotta go to commercial. Now, uh, the first two of this category we're gonna bring up are just kind of like, you know, ones that we normally talk about new rock stars. Of course, the Avengers, where Tony Stark mm. throws the nuke at the Chitauri fleet and pisses off Thanos. And we uh, group this in this category because really, if you think about it, that was the moment that kind of kicked off the Infinity Saga. It's what got Thanos' mm. attention. That moment in Infinity War where Thanos said that he knew who Tony Stark was. And they both, they're both kind of futurists. They had that moment. Right. He knew right. who the Iron Man was because that's the guy who threw a nuke at his fleet through the uh, wormhole to Earth. So yeah. that's what put Earth and the Avengers on Thanos' shit list. So it really yes. kind of started this whole wave of dread and doom. For the Avengers, that one use of a nuclear warhead. I mean, Tony Stark didn't fire it. You know, the American military fired it, trying to just wipe out New York in that way. But uh, mm -hmm. but Tony threw it up. Now, it, it kind of looks like any space nuke does, whether it's Armageddon <laughs> or Independence Day. It's a big flash of light. Sure, sure. And uh, you could say that Tony, it's plausible that he escapes it because he falls through a wormhole and then that wormhole closes. Mm -hmm. So whatever happened on the other side of the space, he doesn't have to worry about. I really like that that um, that um that imagery in the movie with like with Tony Stark having to be the one to send the nuke away because uh -huh. he spent his entire life making weapons and then nukes like that. So I'm just like, yeah, this is really great. It's like, I have to send this one yeah. outside to defend the people. It's just 100%. It was great. Yeah, and you, you see in Iron Man 3, like even though the nuke didn't go off, like Tony was really messed up about yeah. the, the events of New York and like seeing a nuke go off in front of his face. Like, I'm sure he's never really seen that. So yeah. like, fall, well, as he fell through the hole, it's like, wow, I'm probably gonna get a, a shit ton of radiation right now. Yeah, it probably freaked him out. <laughs> Now, yeah. uh, similarly, there's the uh, nuke in The Wolverine. That's a oh, James Bangle so 2013 movie. A pretty mm. cool scene. Yeah, it's kind of like historical fiction because it shows a World War II era Wolverine in a POW camp. And mm. uh, you kind of see the, the atomic bomb dropped over the city of Nagasaki, which destroyed the town with a 22 kiloton blast. Mm. And you see it play out from Logan's perspective as a POW as he just waits for the explosion to get over with. But then he ends up saving the officer by covering him with a large piece of metal to shield him from the fiery winds while Wolverine just gets his body burnt up. And yeah. that ends up fitting in this category as well because it sets up the whole story that takes place decades later where Wolverine catches up with that guy and ends up setting up everything in that plot. It's kind of the, the start of the movie. And yeah. it reminds you of the horror of that moment while not dwelling on it too much. Some would say this isn't the kind of genre where you want to dwell on it too much. You know, yeah. not to say we should never think about that. Yes, think about it all the time. Think about how horrible this is. <laughs> uh, but in this moment, it just kind of uses it enough to show that fear 
while moving beyond it and showing how it created it forged this relationship that ends up having huge narrative implications later in the movie oh yeah for sure like and whenever i think about like nuclear strikes in my brain like it's it's the terminator scene and it's that scene from the wolverine oh like it's just seeing him like just burn up it's just oh it's such a screaming as it regenerates yeah 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 but the best of this uh in this genre is the godzilla franchise Uh, We saw it, uh, you know, in the more recent franchise that Warner's done from 2014 onward, but back to the Toho films of the 50s. Because the original inspiration for the character of Godzilla was the United States dropping atomic weapons, city-destroying weapons. And so, basically, they conceived this in the form of this giant kaiju. And throughout that franchise, uh, Godzilla starts off as a villain, but ends up being kind of a a neutral, a chaotic neutral. Uh, And then each of the different kaiju represent we believe threats from different countries. So Mothra represents uh, Japan and it's kind of a a gentle giant, you know, you have Rodan, uh, which is kind of a threat from the Soviet union. King Ghidorah was supposed to be a threat from China. Uh, So you kind of have these different things that are all these like different nuclear threats that like Japan viewed as a threat and they kind of made this giant metaphor out of it, but it ended up creating this beloved franchise that struck at the fear of viewers for just being afraid of being flattened in your city and there's nowhere to run or to hide. Wait, Wait time out, time out, time out. You're telling me that Godzilla wasn't inspired by Reptar from the Rugrats? Impossible. <laughs> Impossible. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. And the, one of the best things about the later franchise is the 2014 reboot onward has definitely linked back to that whole history. Uh, mm. The opening credits of the 2014 film show Godzilla being lured to Bikini Atoll in 1954, uh, where, you know, nuclear testing went on in the Pacific Ocean and created where SpongeBob lives. Um, and <laughs> I know, I was thinking that too. I love that theory. I was like, Bikini, what? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's like the best example, I think, of like using the fear of nuclear blasts of, of mm. nukes and building something out of it that still continues that cautionary tale. And we've seen this in a couple other franchises. Like, obviously, Planet of the Apes kind of suggested that by the end of that film. They did say it was nukes per se, but he did say you blew it up. Damn you, damn you all to hell. Which, (laughs) what else would blow up the Earth to that degree? Um, And we didn't see the nuke go off. We just saw the Statue of Liberty, and the implication was that nukes terraform the Earth. And then The Hills Have Eyes is another one that was kind of basically suggesting there was New Mexico nuclear testing created uh, these mutants from all the locals who were irradiated and basically mutated their bodies and made them into these horrifying monsters. Uh, So that was kind of a fear of not necessarily the blast itself, but the fallout. And then Mm. another one I like to mention is Battlestar Galactica, uh, specifically the 2004 series, because that opens with like the Cylons decimating the planet with these thermonuclear blasts. Um, and then you see the aftermath of it. You see this struggling group of human survivors just trying to rebuild after that and survive mm. the Cylon annihilation. Uh, so it's kind of like a Bro. showing Terminator, but the aftermath of it. Oh my, I totally forgot that Battlestar Galactica opened like that because you're totally yeah. right. I love Battlestar Galactica. Anybody who hasn't seen Battlestar Galactica, watch yeah. that show. It's yeah. phenomenal. So say we all. So say we all. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, a lot of a lot of Nexium uh, cult members in that cast, but if you could look past that, Oh God! Really? <laughs> There's at least two. Wow! But Jesus hey, Christ! Hey, pretty well. much everything you watch in Hollywood, some member of the cast or crew is connected to some kind of problematic cult. Uh, and if you like Mad Men, West Wing, or Handmaid's Tale, Elizabeth Moss is a Scientologist. 
Uh oh. Yo, freaking Smallville, bro. Uh-huh. Like, uh huh. Yeah, she was girl, in Nexium. Chloe. Oof. Yeah. That shit really. That shit fucked me up. Oh yeah. Can't even believe she did that shit. Why didn't you tell me about this? We all keep secrets, Squirrel. All right. So knowing all three of these categories, let's talk about where would Army of the Dead fit into. Part of me wants to say, "What have we done?" But realistically, I think it might just be bonkers in that movie. What do you think? I mean, see? yeah, I would go with bonkers because it, it definitely goes with that with that uh, with that vibe. Yeah, fun to look at. Cool mushroom cloud doesn't really make any sense. There's no way Vanderho at the end of that movie would have been able to walk through that nuclear fallout. Or he had a zombie bite. He survived for like 13, 14 hours with a zombie bite and didn't turn. Right. Okay, so bonkers it is. But before we continue with our bite-sized questions, we have to tell you guys a word from the beautiful people that make Big Question possible. Starting with Upstart. Paying off debt can feel like an uphill battle. I mean, high interest rates can keep you in an endless cycle of debt. But Upstart can help you get ahead. I mean, Upstart is a fast and easy way to pay off your debt with a personal loan all online. Whether it's paying off credit cards, consolidating high interest debts, or funding personal expenses, over half a million people have used Upstart to get a simple fixed monthly payment. Unlike other lenders, Upstart looks at more than just your credit score, like your income and employment history. With this means that they can offer smarter rates with trusted partners. With a five minute online rate check, you can see their rate upfront for loans between $1,000 to $50,000. You can receive funds as fast as one business day after accepting your loan. Find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash big question. That's Upstart dot com slash big question and don't forget to use our url to let them know that we sent you loan amounts will be determined based on your credit income and certain other information provided on your loan application go to upstart.com slash big question we also want to thank imperfect foods for sponsoring this episode every year billions of pounds of food go to waste because it doesn't live up to the strict cosmetic standards of grocery stores while imperfect foods is on a mission to reimagine grocery delivery for a kinder less wasteful world they deliver sustainable affordable groceries including produce quality protein and pantry staples straight to your door all you have to do is sign up create your flexible personalized grocery plan and then shop online each week and get affordable and sustainable groceries delivered directly to your door with imperfect foods grocery shopping fits seamlessly into your life and every week is a tasty adventure sign up with imperfect foods today to save time save money and save food from going to waste and right now imperfect foods is offering our listeners 20 percent off plus free shipping on your first order when you go to imperfectfoods.com and use the promo code big question try imperfect foods now for a limited time get 20 percent off plus free shipping on your first order go to imperfectfoods.com and use the code big question to sign up that's 20 percent off plus free shipping at imperfectfoods.com Offer code big question. All right, MC. All right. Uh, it looks like we had some bite sized questions here. So the first one comes from Flash T Man on Discord uh, saying, What is Groot's lineage amongst the tree people? Mm, okay, that's a great question, Flash T Man. Mm-hmm. Um, from another T Man, here's your answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're T Brothers now. I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Our beloved Groot is a flora colossus up from the planet X, where the rest of the tree people come from. And the character of Groot was actually introduced to the Marvel family way back in like 1960 in the comic Tales to Astonish number 13, created by Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko. Now, back then, he was a giant tree monster attacking Earth, absorbing all the objects made of wood <laughs> to increase his power and strength. He would make some occasional appearances here and there over the years as a generic villain monster type thing, but it wasn't until 2007 that Groot's story was retconned and he became the, the three-word speaking hero that we know and love yes. today. Um, I believe that was in the Annihilation series, Conquest series. Our modern Groot is a descendant of an ancient sapline of Flora Colossus. In fact, 
all the floor colossus from Planet X are named Groot. Due to their rigid wooden physiology, their larynx is not flexible enough to have a robust vocabulary. And because of these stiff vocal cords, when they speak, it just sounds like I am Groot to our untrained human mm -hmm. ears. Because we're just, we, we don't got yeah. classy ears like that. Yeah, we're our just, ears that, suck. Zero out of ten years. <laughs> <laughs> On Planet X, the Groots are a part of a hive mind of the forest and given photonic knowledge by the Sage Arbor Masters who lead the branch worlds. The Groots do have their own unique traits and personalities, and ours is a particularly fond of the sentient mammals on Planet X that aid and assist the Groots. Uh, when he sees other Groots tormenting one of these creatures, he becomes enraged and attacks his brethren, oh. which causes him to be exiled from Planet X. So it's really sad, yeah. but it's, just, it's out of a kindness of his heart. He's a good yeah, boy. He's a, he's a good boy, Groot. This leads to Groot becoming captured by the Kree and eventually joining the Guardians of the Galaxy when he is rescued by Star-Lord and the crew in 2007. And in 2013, we learn that Groot also goes by the name His Divine Majesty King Groot the 23rd, Monarch of Planet X, Custodian of the Branch Worlds, Ruler of All the Shades. I like that name. You know, it's very, uh, very complicated name. I do like Groot better, I gotta oh. say. Well, and based on how he talks to people, he is kind of the ruler of all the shades. <laughs> He's very shady, yes. But this would confirm that Groot is of royal lineage. It also means that he was gifted extremely genius level knowledge by the Arbor Masters. I remember reading um, a comic series from like a, a long time ago where Groot is talking to Maximus the Mad and Maximus is like, did you guys know that this guy's actually a genius? <laughs> <laughs> Groot is actually very smart, uh, yeah, but yeah. he just says, I am Groot. It's very, it's, it's hilarious. Mm -hmm. So whether or not Groot is really of a royal sap line or that is just a story he made up to sound impressive, we may never know, but he certainly did inherit some killer dance moves. Yeah, so, he did. Yeah. What a great answer. Thank you, MT. Oh, one other question. Uh, why okay. was Bruce Wayne raised by Alfred instead of another Wayne family member? That's a great question. That's a really great question. And to answer that, the concept of the orphan Bruce Wayne being raised by his butler after the death of his parents is actually a modern retcon of Batman's history. Alfred Pennyworth wasn't introduced into the Batman comics until well after, like, Robin, Catwoman, the Joker, and a host of like other villains of the rogues gallery had already interacted with the Caped Crusader. And Alfred was introduced in Batman number 16 in 1943, and he was originally unaware of Bruce Wayne's alter ego. Alfred is the son of Jarvis, a previous ah. butler of the Wayne family, which is, you know, apparently a very famous butler ah. name, is very popular. Okay, um, see what you did there, Marvel. <laughs> Okay, I see what you did there. Who arrives in Gotham City from England to fulfill his father's dying wish that he follow the family tradition and become the Wayne family butler. <laughs> I don't know why the dreams are so small here, you but hey. You will be a servant. <laughs> <laughs> you will be the servant for the rest of your life, please. <laughs> It's like, I will, Dad. <laughs> okay, Dad. Damn. Wow, that is, uh, it's pretty sad. But hey, Alfred, he's, he's literally the best butler out of all of them, so I'm glad yeah, he, he did it. The idea that Alfred raised an orphan Bruce Wayne started with the animated show Super Friends in 1985 on an episode called The Fear. It was eventually merged into comic book ah. canon. Now, this factoid was then cemented with the 1989 Tim Burton Batman film, along with Christopher Nolan's Batman Begins and the recent show Gotham. So okay. Alfred ain't going anywhere. He's here to stay. Yeah. It's like, this is just, this is just the canon now. And as for extended family taking in Bruce, he didn't really have any. Like mm. Bruce was the last of the Waynes and that's what makes it really significant with the, the Wayne's death. Okay. Um, unless you account for the immortal Thomas Wayne from the 18th century, AKA Dr. Hurt, but I don't think he'd be a really good father figure. So we're not gonna really go into that. Yeah. 
<laughs> but Jacob Kane was introduced in 2011 as Martha Wayne's brother and Bruce's uncle. And Jacob Kane is the father of Kate and Elizabeth Kane, uh, Bruce's cousins, of course. And Kate Kane goes on to become Batwoman, of course, and fight side by side with Batman. Okay, so that was just kind of released late, and at that point, yeah. we had already understood that Alfred was part of the mythology. That <laughs> makes sense. There you go. Thanks, MT. Now it is time for my favorite part of the show. It's the box of scraps. Box of scraps. Box of scraps. Box of scraps. <laughs> this is it. All you can eat. And today's box of scraps question for you, Eric, is what secret has been the most difficult for you to keep in your lifetime? Oh my God. Um, mm. huh. I'm not very good at keeping secrets. Um, I just kind of, you know, people can always see in my face if I'm hiding something from them. I don't have a very good poker face. And uh, I remember when I was a kid, I was really bad at it. And people just wouldn't tell me the surprise because I would ruin it. I would ruin it. Uh, and, How rude. Yeah. I remember for, uh, so my sister, Lucy, went into the Peace Corps to Turkmenistan. And uh, okay. we're all, you know, we all missed her a whole lot because we didn't get a lot of contact. This is the first time anyone in the family had moved away across the world. Um, mm. and my mom had her 50th birthday party and my dad wanted to have this big surprise party and invite everyone over and, uh, we were going to get home or you know, he was going to bring her home after lunch and then everyone was going to be there mm. at the house. Um, but he found a way to get my sister to come home from Turkmenistan just as a visit. Um, oh. and, uh, it was such a big deal because there was a lot of moving parts. It's hard to get someone to travel across the world like that from a country like yeah. that. Um, yeah. but, uh, they were able to do it and like, I, it was so hard for me to keep that secret. There's so many times I almost <laughs> spoiled it. I think at one point I even said like, I can't wait to see Lucy. Uh, and like my sister's like, shut up. My mom's like, what'd you say? And I said, oh, I meant to say it. And I said some like other sister. I just lied. And she's like, oh, okay. And like, I was so freaked out. My long lost sister that I haven't Another seen. I missed sister. her. I can't uh, wait to Peanuts see her. Lucy. She's my favorite Peanuts character. My mom's like, I guess Eric just has a weird Lucy fetish. Uh, or like the Scarlett Johansson movie that didn't exist yet. I can't wait to see that movie. <laughs> um, but no, uh, so the day of the party, I was really nervous. Um, like, I mm. was going to say something. I was going to say something. Uh, and then even when the party happened, everyone said, surprise, saying happy birthday to my mom. And at the very end of the song, my sister was going to run around the side of the house uh, mm. and sneak up on my mom, put her hands around her eyes and say, guess who? And that's how my mom was going to uh -huh. see and was going to lose it. Um, and I almost, I was so worried I was going to say it out loud or do something to, uh, to trigger it. And then, uh, so right as the song ended, I was like, oh, I'm going to say it, I'm going to say it, I'm going to say it. And then <laughs> our priest who we invited to the party goes, hey, Nancy, hey, Nancy, look who's here. <laughs> he had to be that guy. And then my sister Lucy was like, okay. And then she ran up. It's like, hi, mom. And then the priest ruined the surprise. So I oh was cleared. God. I didn't ruin it. God damn it, priest. All of us were like, why did Father Tony do that? Why did he yeah. have to make it about him? Anyway. God damn it, Father Tony. Why? <laughs> why? Just kidding. That's, He's uh, a that's nice such guy. A bummer, He's a nice jovial guy. He just said, hey. He wanted to be part but of at it. The, <laughs> but at the end of the day, you didn't spoil the secret. And yeah, he saved me. So that's why he, he jumped on the grenade for me. So I always think maybe, maybe he knew that you were about to pop. He's like, you know what? I need to save this boy. Yeah. Uh, how about you, MT? What's the hardest secret that you've ever had to keep? Hmm. I would have to say it was my little brother's engagement 
because um he like my when my little brother does something he goes like over the top mm-hmm. and so like when he set up this whole thing where like um he he pretended like so my little brother's fiance at the time anyway was uh he's a photographer and so she's like hey i have this job for you so he sent her like on like this r- random fake job mm-hmm. just t- taking pictures while like everybody that both of us knew like met up at this final location where she was supposed to shoot and so um like it was just like this really great elaborate plan and i knew it for weeks and so like whenever i would see uh his fiance I'd be like hey what's going on and like i love a good surprise mm-hmm. and like i love like you know i just love love in general so i'm just like you don't know like really great things about to happen and like i just I don't know. I just part of me is just like I really want to say it. Like, uh-huh. I, just, I don't want to. I would never spoil an engagement, but like it's just like wow. Like this, I, I know you're gonna be really happy, so I, I just really want to tell you now so I can experience your happiness. But it's you know I'm not that selfish as a person. Um, but anyway, that was. I guess that's the only real reason so for me. You uh, kept, you kept it though story. at the end of the day. I did. Uh, no, too. right before he was about to do it, I'm like, ha, 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 wait a minute, yeah. <laughs> Joe, I have something to say to guess you. Guess what? <laughs> Hey, look who's here! And it's uh, <laughs> look who's here! It's it's just, it's my little brother. Um, anyway, it's you know it's it's hard to keep a secret sometimes, but for the most part, I think I do a pretty good job. Yeah, I think um, so. You've kept my secret from all the Rockstars viewers. Oh yes, that you're secretly Hannah Montana. I God mean, wait, what? Damn it! <laughs> no one heard that. Essay, you ruin it for him. <laughs> Be such a great reveal. <laughs> oh my god, if you were secretly Miley Cyrus, everything I knew about the world would be questioned. You know what? You're giving me more and more evidence that you might be ahead of Montana slash Miley Cyrus. I'm just take off my clothes and swing around in my wrecking ball. Oh my god, please. I'm just kidding. I got my fitness origins bod that's going to last for. You know, hey, you two are days. looking good, man. I feel like every time I see you, you look more and more healthier. And like you're just like, dang. Yeah, but I feel like you're like you look stronger. Yeah, but I don't know. Weaker like, on the inside. <laughs> that's where it counts. <laughs> but that is it for this episode of Big Question. I want to thank Eric for joining me this episode. You can follow him at EA Voss on Twitter or wherever he's at. Follow me at Mastertainment wherever I'm at. And most importantly, please follow New Rockstars. Send us your big questions using the hashtag big question. Subscribe to the podcast feed. Give us a nice rating and review because that really helped us a lot. Mm -hmm. And subscribe to New Rockstars here on YouTube and hit that notification bell so you can get notifications whenever we upload dope shit. Anyways, thank you guys for watching. Stay safe and we love you guys. Yeah. Ta-ta. Bye. (laughs)